Anyone claiming that America's economy is in decline is peddling fiction. I've abandoned free market principles to save the free market system. But we have to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. Raising the debt ceiling does not increase our debt. It does not somehow promote profligacy. I know words. I have the best words. Nobody knows the system better than me, which is why I alone can fix it. fiction he is johnny the jew mandel i am johnny the gentile profita we are peddling fiction what's going on man how you doing i'm doing great baseball season's right around the corner daylight savings went forward so we got some much lighter days and a lot of stuff to talk about since last week Fuck daylight savings time. <laughs> that mess you up? I hate it, man. I hate it. The government's <laughs> stealing an hour of my weekend. Yeah, well, politics aside, my friend, the day's a little bit longer. Love it. Yeah, you get more daylight, but why can't it be on like a Tuesday afternoon? I just feel like, okay, good point, Tuesday afternoon. But, but I feel like the whole time framework falls under your like government intervention theories like for you we should just be like on the sundial (laughs) yes i don't want i don't want some authority telling me what time it is like no one owns the sun like the sun should be the like one true authority (laughs) nobody owns the water man god owns the water So uh, yeah, let's kick it off, man. A lot of my, a lot of our friends are having babies left and right. So one of my friends asked uh, Hen, my wife, and myself to uh, ask us to to babysit their kids Saturday night. I'm like, you know, I haven't been a good friend. I have babysat none of the kids that are popping out, so we, we could try this out. And the thing that's extraordinary to me is uh, the night was great. They bought us dinner. We watched Silver Linings Playbook when the kid went to bed. <laughs> The kid was up for like half an hour. But the thing that was like shocking to me was that playing with the kid for like three minutes and I was exhausted. Like I, I literally was falling asleep after three minutes. So you're pretty out of shape then. I, I mean, I don't know if it's like boredom or just having to focus on someone other than yourself, but it is exhausting. How old's the kid? One and a half. So it's walking around. Yeah, walking around. Read, I got to read a books and stuff. You got, I mean, you got to keep it entertained. All the time. Yeah, it's it sounds like a lot of work. I mean, if I you don't keep the board. kid entertained, they start wailing. Right. Yeah, my sister's <clears> got a, yeah, like a one and a half year old about the same age. Just started to start wandering around a little bit. I mean, I wouldn't mind adopting just at like seven, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Get yourself a nice little Asian baby. There's a lot of kids out there that need homes, you know. That's why, true. I mean, it's same same principle with dogs. Like, why... Uh, why have one? When Would you adopt? refer to your adopted kid as a rescue? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. I mean, 
I'm proud of the fact that my dog's a rescue, so why not be proud of this? Oh, you're one of those guys, huh? (laughs) He's a rescue. (laughs) (laughs) I actually, for the record, people say like, oh, is your dog a rescue? I'm like, well, yeah, but he like as a puppy. So like, you you don't offer that information up. No, no, I don't care. Honestly. So, uh, well, we're getting off track. I've got, that's a whole episode about the sort of rescue industry. Um, and my thoughts on it as well as the neutering industry. So, but what about you, my friend? What's one cool thing that happened this past week? Oh man, this past week, I don't know. I'm a pretty big loser. I don't think anything, anything spectacular happened. You know, I'm doing the currency trading thing. So I got, I got some new currency trading software to play around with. And, uh, I've been perfecting the intro to the show. So I got to say you did a great job with that. So (laughs) if you want to use that, I mean, to be honest, like you could probably almost be like a house DJ, man. I mean, that, that, that sounds like good stuff. Yes. I've been going, I've been going back through a lot of the, a lot of the recordings that we've made and and putting that intro on there. Yeah. Um, I wonder if there's a market for like house music overlaid with like political quotes. (laughs) I'm sure there, I'm sure if there is, it's on that app Fiverr. You ever use that? No. You know what it is? Uh, no. They should probably sponsor the show. So it's this it's this app, and you can just you pull it up, and it's just got like thousands of people that will do stuff for you for like oh, five, 15 Yeah, yeah. Months. I remember like using graphic it. design. Yeah, I remember using it. Like I remember like five or six years ago, I wanted them to make like a cartoon face of me. They did an awful job, but yeah, it was really easy. <laughs> I so I well, so you've used them before. I was I was thinking about using them to uh, design a logo. For the for show. Peddling fiction. Yeah. So I, I know what I want it to look like, but I just, there's no way I could execute it. Of course not. Yeah. <laughs> just like I, I've taken art classes, but it was literally just for the chicks. What's, what's, uh, what's pedal like? What would it look like? Um, so what I'm thinking about is, is I want to have like the red pill, blue pill thing. Okay. And one would say like peddling, the other one would say fiction. Okay. Inside the thing. And they might be like stacked up like that. Yeah. Across each other, or whatever. Peddling fiction and podcast. That's not like exact. That's not at all what I thought. I thought you're going to have like some like bowling guy, you know, like the dude, like in his, <laughs> in his sunglasses. And like instead of like releasing a bowling ball, he's releasing like, like some like fictional book. I don't know. <laughs> Nope. Nope. I'm going with the pills, man. Because we're red pilling over here. We are red pill. Red pill is where you want the truth, right? Yes. Okay. We're going to see how deep the rabbit hole goes. I, I never understood, like, the Matrix. Like, I didn't I didn't get what the significance of him having to take the pill was. Like, that he's just, like, bought in or... Had to free your mind. Yeah. <laughs> it's, only, it's only been, like, 20 years since I've seen that movie. Yeah. God, getting old, man. Yep. All right. Well... Let's get into it because, um, you know, the guy that's going to fix everything, Donald Trump just came out with his budget for 2020. He alone has the power. Yes. And <laughs> my God, it is $4.75 trillion. I don't believe, I saw 4.5. I think you're making that last part off. This is what I got here. This is, I mean, this is sort of a summary of the, of the bill. This is on Zero Hedge. Okay. Um, yep. In New total, York Times. Front page four point seven five. Yeah, so um, a record too. Yeah, so let me know if you ever get tired of being wrong. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, it's always a record. Every year it's a record because spending always goes up. Can, can I ask you a question? Yeah. Why? Why is the president proposing the budget? I thought Congress is the one that proposes the budget. 
Congress, yeah, well, so Congress controls the the purse strings. Right. So the president sort of he proposes the budget that he wants, and then they basically say yes or no. Yeah, I just I never understood that. Like, especially I get if if uh, the president's party controls Congress, I get that. But maybe that's just like a starting point for a negotiation because he ultimately has to sign the bill. So, um, but again, there's you know there's no downside to the current president increasing spending, right? There, like politically, like there's only there's only downside if you cut. There's not downside if is if you increase, right? That's, until you explode the system. Yeah, it's never a problem. It's never a problem until the entire system melts down, which we're probably we're probably on our way to. We got to be pretty close. Yeah. So yeah, it's you know that's one of the one of the problems with democracy is that the politicians are always so they have such a high time frame preference. Right. Meaning they're only concerned about the here and now. Right. Maybe the next election, maybe, you know, eight years down the road for a president. But right. So they're only concerned with making people happy in the short term. Right. At the expense of the long term. You know, that's why they always. Which, which by the way, they've been self-selected to do that because the ones who care long term don't fucking win. Right. So, yeah. So they're, 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 yeah, they're sort of strained out of the system. And then that's why you always get these, like he's going to. In, in Trump's budget, he's gonna he's gonna balance the budget in fifteen years. Right. Right. Yeah. Like anytime they put forth a tax cut or you know future tax cuts, future uh, spending reductions, balancing the budget in 10, 20 years. The reason they throw it so far down the road is because it's never gonna happen. Right. And you know it'll be somebody else's problem by then, or if they happen to still be in office, they'll deal with it then, and they'll just come up with some other reason to not do it for another 10 years. Right. So yeah, Trump came out with his budget and this is what we get from the fiscally conservative Republicans. Budget is expected to become a major issue in the 2020 race. It calls for a $17 billion reduction in food stamps, 22 billion reduction in welfare programs. It would cut foreign aid by 13 billion while raising national defense by 4% to 750 billion. So, so so all the first few are like all pennies. Right, exactly. Like the big drivers of the debt are Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, and then the defense budget. Medicare, Social Security, and defense budget. Medicaid's not. No, yeah, it is. Medicaid's like a tenth of the federal budget. It's it's hundreds of billions of dollars. The last numbers I saw were in the mid $550 billion range. And that includes the, the state spending on it, but the federal government covers like uh, over 65% of that. So it's it's... 350 400 billion dollars probably by now um, those numbers were a couple of years old so it's about 10 percent of the budget it's not chump change okay good point and of course nobody wants to touch those quote-unquote entitlement programs right because they're so popular now and so they, they trim around the edges and by the way when they say cuts to spending this is one thing that drives me crazy every reporting of these budgets, it's always like, oh, he's going to cut this. He's going to slash spending, slash you know, welfare programs. He's not cutting anything. They've never cut anything. The budget always grows. They have what's called a baseline budget projection right. for every year. So what when they say that there's a $17 billion reduction in food stamps, the projection was for, you know, let's say $50 billion. And then... Instead of increasing 
the spending on food stamps by $50 billion, they only increase it by, what, $33 billion. And then they call that a, re- a cut to spending. Right. Even though the budget's going up by $33 billion. Right. So just like, I, I know <clears throat> I talk about this all the time, that the government takes these words and just totally perverts the meaning of them. A cut, in, as far as the government is concerned, is just a cut in the rate of growth. So, this is like so. I think you're bringing up a lot of great details. I think the overall question becomes, you know, at what what is the breaking point? Because what people don't realize, and this actually goes to we were talking about the black swan earlier. Past performance is not an indicator of future results. And so just because the government has never defaulted, just because the debt has never crushed the country, doesn't mean that it won't. And and that is the black swan, by the way, which is, you know, a certain... In Australia, they never saw black swans before, so they didn't even think it could happen, right? People have never seen a crisis that the U.S. debt can just really crush the country and send into real crisis. Yeah, so, yeah... You know, it's just like the whole thing with the housing bubble, like housing prices only go up. They don't go down. Right. Well, yeah, they do. You just hadn't seen it yet. Right. And yeah, we're still pretty young as a country, a couple hundred years old. I would I would take issue with the fault that, uh, with the with the idea that the government hasn't defaulted on anything. Right. Um, they've defaulted on pretty much everything when they went off the gold standard, yeah. in my opinion. And, well, the first time that... Gold used to be, you know, it used to be $20 for an ounce of gold. Right. And so if you took 20, you know, dollar, 20 paper dollars and you went to the, the Federal Reserve, you could exchange that for an ounce of gold. Right. And then Roosevelt devalued that to $35. Yep. So I would call that a partial default. And then Nixon took us completely off of the gold standard. So instead of taking your $35 to the Federal Reserve and exchanging it for an ounce of gold, you'd, you'd get, you know, uh, a 20, a 10, and a 5 instead. So if that's not a default, I don't know what is. So but the, the anyways, question is, the, the question here. really goes to is the, the national debt as a percentage of D, GDP, right? I mean, we are really... Like really, like last twenty years is when this whole—it's exploded, man. Exploded, yeah. Four point seven five trillion. Because I was thinking about this, that was like the entire national debt when George W. Bush took yeah, office. Right. Well, four point seven five is is the budget. It's not the amount we're going in debt. No, no, no. It's so four point seven five right now is what. Trump wants to spend right, right, right. In, the, in this fiscal year. Right, but I'm, I'm curious what the annual deficit is. It's about it's, a trillion. Oh, it's, it's projected to be $1.1 trillion. But right. going back to the point I was making before, so Trump wants to spend $4.75 trillion in fiscal year 2020. Yeah. From like 1789 to when, when did Bush take office? 2000. 2000. Yeah. To 2000, we had only acquired like five trillion in debt. Right. And then Bush doubled it. And then Obama doubled that. And now right. Trump is probably gonna double Obama's debt. We're at twenty two trillion. So 
so he's the, got, the question is like we're we're all the negative alarmists, like the negative Nancys, oh whatever. Right. Like when does the what's the the rooster come home to? The chickens come home, home to, to roost. The chickens come home to roost. Like yeah, I mean that's that's the million dollar, that's the trillion right. dollar question. So right? I, yeah, and I was I was reading an article today about. Um, who like who's buying all the all the treasury debt that the government's issuing right and foreign investment is on the decline like right. big time like right. china china peaked like 3 4 years ago at about 3 trillion and they're starting to to um pair back to pair back they're down to like 2 trillion they, but they have to the only thing is they have to they don't have to do anything no no, no. but i'm saying to keep their economy going i mean it is it is kind of a ponzi scheme but to keep their currency low, right, and to keep their export-oriented economy, they need to buy U.S. debt. Okay, if you say so. I still think that's bad for their economy. No, <laughs> I mean... artificially suppress uh, their... I'm not saying that it's... You can do it forever, but I'm saying that they're really incentivized to do it. Yeah. For the same reason that we're yeah. incentivized to issue debt. So, but the, the point is that we are going to have to issue a lot more debt right to to fund this government and foreign investments on the decline so that basically means that domestically we're going to have to pick up the slack and you know I, I don't know if you if you've heard but Americans aren't doing a lot of saving these days right we're in debt up to our eyeballs so you have like pension funds and things like that and then you have the Fed. Let me ask you a question. Do you know one of the major reasons that World War II started? Yeah, of course. What gave rise to to World War II was World War One, because we, we got involved in a in a foreign war that we had no business being in. The two sides were basically at a stalemate. We turned the tables by entering. And once that war is over, you get the Treaty of Versailles and the shit sandwich that everybody forced down the throat of Germany that completely destroyed their economy. And that's that created the environment for Hitler to come to, to power in a nutshell. Obviously, that's that's the Cliff Notes version for the sake of time. Yeah, that was a big part of it. They were so they were so in debt. The allies made them like eat it so hard. Right. That they were so in debt. They had hyperinflation, hyperinflation. And, and basically, they just enormous crisis. And who knows what this country is capable of in, in a big enough crisis? I mean, that's it's kind of scary. It is scary. And that's, I mean, one of my biggest problems with Republicans in general, Donald Trump specifically, is that, you know, he's taken ownership of this bubble economy, saying it's the greatest thing in the world, you know, tremendous economy. Nobody's ever done this before. A stock market's going gangbusters. And it's all because of what we did. It's all these tax cuts and we deregulated and which is all just a bunch of nonsense. And so when this shit hits the fan and I don't think he's going to be able to like sneak out of office like uh, Obama was able to get out of there. Just before, the hot potato. Yeah, yeah. Like Bush was not able to get out of there. Right. It, it collapsed in his lap. And that gave us Obama. If anything, Obama was like, like Obama came when things were so depressed that he had a long runway. Right. Of, a lot of, of slack. Of and he could keep blaming it yeah. on the prior administration. So like the, the whole Bush debacle, which I mean, he's easily one of like the worst presidents ever. Right. But that gave us Obama. 
which I mean, I think he's probably one of the worst presidents ever, too. And then Obama gave us Trump. And now this whole thing is going to collapse before Trump gets out of office. I think in the next two years, if he gets real, if it doesn't, I think he gets reelected. And then there's just no way this bull market that's already the longest in history is going to go on for another four years. But like we've often talked like a bull market correcting. That's not a bad thing. The question is, does this the response to it? Does the debt crush like create like let's say the housing bubble was like the appetizer, right? Yeah. And like the, the US overture. government debt is gonna be like the main course, right? Yes. And, and we're gonna see like 25, 30, 40 percent unemployment. Yeah. And then it's and then my fear is that it's all gonna be blamed on, you know, like free market capitalism, deregulation and tax right. cuts. Right. And we're gonna get, you know, the equivalent of a Bernie Sanders in office. Right. You probably don't listen to any Peter Schiff at all, but he, he's been saying for years that that Trump is Jimmy Carter in reverse. Carter had such a failed presidency that it gave rise to Ronald Reagan, who is the epitome of conservatism, according to mainstream people. And it was it was the disaster that that took place under Carter that gave rise to the most conservative president ever. And so tr- Trump's presidency is going to have just the opposite effect. Right. The pendulum's going to swing the other way. Trump's going to give us the most liberal president ever, which would be, you know, a Democratic socialist. I, I really think he's on to something. And I think I don't know if there's any coming back from that right. without like, you know, a serious war, revolution yeah, or yeah. something. Because, I mean, look at what's going on in Venezuela right now. Bad times. Right. I mean, the, the one thing I, I, I will say is that we could always inflate our way out of the debt. Yeah, but which I mean, causes another host of problems. That's now you're talking about hyperinflation, though. Well, not hyperinflation. I'm talking about years of of limited growth. But <laughs> just so just a slow, steady decline. We're still going to hell in a handbasket, but it's going to be orderly. But yeah, I mean, like like a Japan or like a or like a England, right? Wages. I mean, what is inflation? Inflation is is wage reduction. Oh, right. It's, an, ex- it's so, an expansion of the money supply, if you want to be technical. It's an expansion of the money supply, and, and the outcome, though, is is, is, is lower purchasing power. Right. right? Higher prices. Yeah. Higher prices, lower purchasing power. Yeah. So you just have, you know, years and years of, of gloomy, depressing, you know, not growth. <laughs> not growth. It sounds awesome. <laughs> Sign me up for that. Right. And that's that might be what the country comes to, more of like a Japan than a, than a huge, you know, big bang. You really think that that's the environment we're in, though? It's easier to inflate our way out of it than it is to cut. I I agree that that's the route they're going to go. Yeah. But if you try to inflate your way out of it, you also have to stop the bleeding. Like, you can't just keep increasing the budget. You can't have, like, a Green New Deal. You can't spend, we're going to talk about the UBI, $3 trillion on a UBI. Yeah. Because you're never going to inflate your way out of that. Right. And eventually that will lead to hyperinflation, which is so much worse. It, it It's the worst scenario, in my opinion. It's going to be it would be devastating. I mean, you mentioned Japan. Compare our culture to Japan. Japan, like they're so orderly and considerate and they respect their elders and they, you know, they like stand in lines. They be, you know, they follow <laughs> <laughs> they'll follow orders. I mean, look at, look at America, look at us on like black Friday or something like, or have you seen, 
if you've seen those tantrums that people go on when they don't get their their food stamps on time, they don't get their EBT card, they they go they go ballistic in these stores. We are not Japan. I mean, culture wise, you know, we're morally bankrupt. Yeah, we would not handle a hyperinflation scenario when there's there's not even like toilet paper on the shelves. Right. That's not going to go over too well in America. It would be chaos. But, you know, I guess on the bright side, it would give us some actual problems to talk about. Some real life serious stuff as opposed to all these like ridiculous non issues like microaggressions and transgender bathrooms. <laughs> At least we give that crap a break for a while and, and deal and deal with survival but anyways i'm getting i'm getting way off topic here republicans are just such hypocrites on this and it drives me crazy they're they're supposed they they claim to be the the fiscal conservative ones right, right. the limited government 4.75 trillion is not limited anything i think you made a good point though is the politicians follow the votes right yeah people are not banging on the door asking for cuts right people want lower taxes and increased spending those are the two things they want right and that's what blows the budget up that's why he has one he's he's got trillion dollar uh deficits projected as far as the eye can see yeah i mean part of it's like having a credit card and not having to directly pay for it right yeah like every american with this debt it's like ten thousand dollars of debt for every american every year but like you don't have to pay it like there's no like there's no credit card bill that shows up to your door. Well, yeah, or you it's just take you idea, take <laughs> you take out another credit card. <laughs> you, just, you pay off your Visa with your Mastercard. Yeah, pay off your Mastercard with your American Express. That'd be that'd be a good uh, idea actually to get people's uh, minds on the deficit. Like every quarter, send the, them a bill. The government sends everyone like a bill for how much they personally owe, based on like the deficit. I get people. I bet people will start thinking about that. Maybe. So one one thing that. Um, you just sparked my memory. I I heard this. I think it was on another podcast. But the last time that like the the debt was actually mentioned in a presidential uh, state of the union was 2013. Yeah. Barack Obama. It was like right after he got reelected. Yeah. And it was. It's like it was back then. I remember Republicans wouldn't shut up about the 10 trillion dollar debt. Right now we've gone well beyond that. But right. It was, you know, everybody was talking about it when it was like kind of a manageable problem. And it seems like when these problems just get so out of control and there's nothing we can do about it, 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 like people just stop talking about it. Yeah. It's not, it's not a thing anymore. Right. Because we ain't paying it. (laughs) Like that's the bottom line. Uh, Yeah. In one way or another, it's not getting paid. Well, buckle your seatbelts, everyone. Yeah. Take out a big mortgage too. Yeah, you can. I mean, mortgage rates right now basically free money. And if it's inflation, I, more I think free. they're lying about the inflation rate. I think it's much higher than they're claiming. Yeah, they're they're saying it's now it's at like two percent. Well, you know, it's, technology it's keeps prices low. Technology does, um, but I I think they have an incentive because they've they've sort of uh, like reverse engineered the the GDP. And yeah. you have like you have the uh, in, uh, the deflator, right? The inflate like so you have to take the the nominal GDP, you subtract the inflation rate, that gives you the real GDP, right? So they want to understate the inflation so it makes our GDP look better. 
And then, of course, your debt-to-GDP ratio is better, too. So all the incentives are for them to lie about how bad inflation really is. Well, here's another thing, too. What, what does GDP, what is, uh, sorry, what does the inflation index not take into account? Food and energy. Right. <laughs> like, the, like the things that like everybody buys. The, like the two, like oil is literally like an oh, input. Oh, it's too volatile. Yeah. We're going to take like that oil out. Oil is literally an input in like every part of the economy. Right. right? So like, like, all right, so that's one. And then, yeah, food is a great Yeah, example. it's like, so what do I spend? I spend like, well, I spend a lot of my money on taxes. And then the rest of it goes to food and energy. Right. Like literally all of it. Right. <laughs> like everything, everything else goes to food and energy. But those are too volatile, quote unquote volatile. And by volatile, they just mean they keep going up in price. Yeah. So they want to take those out. Yeah. Yeah. Although oil is also the beneficiary of technology. So that's like another funny part. Anyway. All right. What's, uh, what's the next topic? The UBI, baby. Okay. So we have another presidential hopeful. He goes by the name. His name is Andrew Yang. Okay. And this guy is some sort of entrepreneur out of New York City. Okay. He's running on the Democratic ticket. And, you know, obviously, if you're on the Democratic ticket, you have to find a way to promise to steal more stuff from the American people and dole it out in the form of some sort of gift. Okay. And his plan is a universal basic income. Everybody gets $1,000 a month. I'm just going to I'm going to read from this article really quickly cuz apparently he's putting his money where his mouth is and that's I mean it's being very generous but he's giving families $1,000 a month to promote his proposal for a universal basic income, a recurring government funded stipend for all American adults with no strings attached. He plans on distributing $1,000 of his personal fortune to one family in Iowa and one family in New Hampshire, <laughs> the first two states on the presidential caucus and primary calendar. Okay. Um, every month this year to prove the efficacy of his so-called, he calls it a freedom dividend. Yeah. That's another thing that they do. They like to take our words. They like to take these libertarian words and apply them to like the least libertarian situations ever. Yeah. Yeah. Stealing $1,000 and giving it to somebody else is a freedom dividend. And then we have the freedom fighters in Iraq. So let's talk about anyway. let's talk about UBI. I think so, well, we've I, talked about UBI on the show before. Have we? Yeah. Well, nobody well, was listening. <laughs> <laughs> so so first off, by the way, I saw how he made his money. He's an entrepreneur. He started Manhattan Test Prep, which then sold the cap one. So I'm sure he made a, a, a boatload of money. Yeah. So he could afford to give it to more than two families. Right. He and he's also selecting these families. There's a selection process. Right. So I'm sure there's not going to be any bias there to make sure that this works out. But yeah, go ahead. So let's talk about UBI. We, we both have said that we can support UBI under a specific circumstance. Well, well, hang on. I, I, I do not support a UBI under any circumstance. I, I know what you're referring to. And I think we were we were kind of doing like a thought experiment or something where it's like if I had to choose between welfare, the welfare state we have now and a UBI. And I've said a UBI would be preferable to that. But for the record, and I'll, well, I'll clarify my reasons why in a minute, but I wouldn't call that supporting a UBI. I, I am not in favor of a UBI. Just want to clear that up before you give me a bad name. Where you smear my reputation with our thousands of listeners. Okay. Well, you've made a good point about UBI, which is, hey, if you just replace everything else with a UBI, I think it will save money and it's sort of more free market than the current like 
patchwork of bullshit. Yeah, I've been thinking a lot about that. Okay. I mean, th- I think there's an argument to be made on that side, and I, I'm, I know like Milton Friedman made it years ago. Like, first of all, none of these Democratic proposals are anything new. There's nothing new about anything they're proposing. Okay. Let me just get that right off the bat. Like, I mean, this UB- has been UBI, discussed. I didn't hear around. I didn't hear it last time around. Well, you didn't hear it in maybe in your lifetime, but in right. the 70s, this was discussed. Yeah, I so, mean, there's no such thing as a new idea. Yeah, <laughs> definitely not when it comes to government. Right. But so I, I just don't, the more I think about, I mean, I just don't think it's realistic to, to think that we're going to eliminate the welfare state that we have. Right. And replace it with this UBI. And then when, you know, irresponsible people blow through their, their 12 grand for the year. Right. And they're, you know, literally like dying in the streets. And this is uh, like a major problem that politicians aren't going. The first thing they're going to do is start clamoring to to like bring back welfare benefits. Right. Can I give you a thought experiment? Sure. Before we dive more deeply into this. OK. Let's say like in, a, in the distant future, like let's say like 30 years from now, there's like a machine and a computer system that like literally does everything. Like it, it literally does all the work needed for humankind. Uh, it makes all the production. It has robot helpers to take care of like every sort of need and want, right? So, what 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 sort of I mean, what kind of system exists then? Like, do you have a UBI where because everyone's needs taken care of, they they pay with you know sort of like a, a universal income? I mean, like what? I think there'd be a lot of other industries that pop up, like service industry type things. More like robots take care of it. Like literally things that look like humans that can do human work. I feel like UBI is sort of a, like we're kind of on that path, which is a lot of people, their work is like no longer necessary. There's, they literally like they, they can't do something valuable enough for society to pay them like a decent wage. I mean, that's that's always what happens with technological advancements. Right. And that, like who who would have thought of, you know, that that talking into a microphone could be a job, like right. a, a lucrative job. Right. But, you know, like nobody knows what kind of jobs are going to come into existence when you completely, you know, solve a, an entire pro- an industry problem. I, I'm saying that with technology replacing more and more jobs, you might have lots of people out there. That just the skills they have are not valuable enough right. to, to be paid. Right. So they have to get new skills. For whatever reason, they're either A, not, or B, can't. And, and my point is, is then you have as, to rely as, te- on- as technology takes more and more jobs, I actually could see this happening like more and more to where there's like a very small part of society that does something of, like, of monetary value. And the rest is just taken care of by UBI. Your this thought experiment you're doing is a very common sort of fear that people have when it comes to automation and robots and AI. And here's where I think here's where I think most people get it wrong. And here's where I think you're you're going wrong is that you're only picturing the 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 current economy that we're functioning in. You're only picturing current like labor standards and current economic standards in terms of availability of jobs, but then you're projecting this futuristic technological improvement that doesn't exist and sort of like uh, transposing that into the current environment. 
So the current environment is going to change along with the technological advancements. Okay, you're not you're only focusing on the jobs that we have and not the jobs that will be created as a result of future technological improvements. So if if you were to look throughout history, when new technology is introduced, yes, there are some jobs, there are jobs that are destroyed, but the overwhelming outcome is more jobs are created so yeah you may like the the automobile completely killed the horse and buggy industry think of all the jobs that just that came into existence just because of the automobile i mean there's millions of them right you can't have race car driving without a car right but i guess my point is again we're moving towards a society where automation machinery robots are just doing more and more of that work and that there's just there's not there's not much a certain segment can provide and by the way my only point is like even you and me are not on the i mean in 10 years what we do that might not be worth anything right to the point where you literally have a machine taking care of all of society's work and so that ubi that you do now that covers like 10 percent of people in five years covers 30 percent in 10 years covers 50%. And dude, again, in 30 years, there might be no more work. Just a UBI covers everything. Yes. Think there there will be there will be jobs that, that go away. And that's a good thing. You're freeing up labor. You're freeing up people to do more desirable things, too. That's the other thing. Uh, the jobs that will be shed will be the most dehumanizing jobs because that's what robots do better than humans. They do robotic things better than humans. Uh, the, the thing that they 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 do they can't do that humans can do. Robots can only do what they're basically programmed to do or told to do. There's no creativity. Okay, they're not going to be curing diseases. They're not going to be doing anything with culinary culinary arts or the arts or entertainment. Um, human needs are infinite. Okay, we're never going to run out of things that we want or ways that desires can be satisfied. And and the most important thing is that labor has to be organized. You know, somebody has to somebody has to figure out what the robots should be doing. And that's what that's the role of the entrepreneur to organize the labor to create a product or to create an outcome that satisfies the desires of people. Robots can't figure out what people want. Only people can do that. So there's always going to be a role for people. This you're you're creating like this dystopian, you know, this dystopian future that that's literally like impossible to create. And then the other the other issue is the guy who you 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 claim owns all the robots. He <laughs> he's not going to be owning and operating the robots at a loss. He has to provide. He has to be able to provide something that people can afford. Otherwise, it doesn't make any sense to produce the robots in the first place to just produce all this stuff if nobody has any money to buy it so he's got to, he's not going to be engaging in that activity unless there's a market for it unless people can afford it so prices need to come down to a level that people can't afford and if that level is like a dollar for whatever then that's what it is and i mean he's he's only going to be selling it at a dollar if he can make a profit at that Prices would would just have to come down. He'd have to figure out a way to sell whatever product or service those robots are offering at a price that people can afford. 
Otherwise, it, it, the the product or service doesn't get offered. Right. And it's not like people don't start at zero either. So it's like you're going to have money. You're going to have wealth like saved up as this process is ongoing. Right. Because it's a gradual transition. It's not like we all just wake up tomorrow and, and robots take over everything. Right. So we'll have a pool of savings to draw from. You know, you'll, you'll buy your own robot. Robots will be like cell phones. Everybody will have a robot to take care of all, all kinds of stuff. You can put the robot to work and the robot could generate income for you. I mean, who knows? There's, there's so many things that could happen. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to pretend that I, I know exactly how the, the automation, the AI revolution is going to play out. But the point is people will be freed up to pursue whatever they want. Their true genius can come out. They don't. They no longer have to do these menial tasks. Right. They can do something else. They could write. A robot's going to write books. They're going to write novels about the human experience. They're fucking robots, man. This is, I mean, the entertainment industry, if I had to guess, I would say entertainment industry blows up. And all kinds of weird, who knows what kind of things people are going to be weirdly entertained by. There's always going to be a market for human, even even if a robot can do it, there is something to the human touch, the human touch to it, the, you know, a, a connection between humans. Yeah. And that, that will probably, um, my guess is in a world, in the world that you're, you're picturing where like 95% is done by robots, then things that are actually done by people will be like a novelty. It'll be a print. You'd pay a premium for it. And so right now these people that have to do these really low skilled jobs because the jobs have to get done they no longer have to do that because the robot can do it now if you take that away they get to do something else and yes i, I listen i get it it sucks when your job gets eliminated from society it's never fun to be unemployed which is why you have to constantly be improving your human capital but at the same time what when that job goes away you're go and all these other low skill jobs goes away you're you're going to be mu- you're going to live a much more fulfilled and satisfied life doing something that you actually want to do that people can get value from you just have to figure out what it is what sort of need you can satisfy in society and there has to be something that you could do there is somebody out there who values what you have and i I'm not saying we're going to be at 100% employment, but we're not at 100% employment now either. And now I'm not going to pretend like I know what that will be. Nobody can. That's the point. No one person or group of people can know how society should be organized or how an economy should be organized or how resources should be allocated. That's why anarchy is the way to go. But if you look throughout history, we have been automating things for hundreds of years and there's always more jobs that are created than are destroyed millions more i mean think of how many more types of jobs exist now than there than existed 100 years ago and 200 years ago 300 years ago we've been automating things the entire time and we have a million more jobs than before if automating things killed more jobs than it created we would be like we would be demonstrably poorer than we are now and we'd have less jobs but we have more people working than ever before. Right. People's wants and desires are infinite. So there's always going to be something that we can satisfy. We're never going to just sit back and be like, okay, that's it. This is as good as it gets. 
No, no. It, it'll whatever it may be. It, it could be like the most bizarre thing ever. That whatever that need is will have to be satisfied, and a human will have to come up with a way of satisfying it. A robot can never do that. So I, I disagree with this whole premise that you know there there can be one hundred percent automation, and we're all just going to be sitting there waiting for waiting for some some pieces of paper from the government to to buy products that a robot produced. What's the point? Again, I could just I can envision the UBI becoming more and more commonplace. I, I can envision it becoming more and more popular as there's like um, like creative destruction in the economy and there's turnover in all these job industries. You know, but either way, it's kind of irrelevant because if you start implementing a UBI, like you 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 think it's going to be like this gradual thing, start with the UBI now and like some people benefit from it and then more and more people over time will benefit from the UBI even if your this dystopian future that you're you're putting forth was possible, I argue that it's not. If you start implementing a UBI, you will never get to the point that you're talking about where robots handle everything because a UBI will completely destroy our economic production and the capital structure of our economy. We'll never be able to advance to the point where something like that is even feasible in your dreams, let alone a practical reality. But yeah, it's it's easy to look at what we have now and be like, oh yeah, a robot could do that. Then what's that person going to do? It's like, oh, yeah, like a masseuse, a robot could do that. Okay. Um, who comes up with the massage techniques? I was, I was just in Thailand. You think a robot could come up with, uh, could design the, the Thai massage that you get? Climbing all over you and doing all these weird things? No. A, a human has to do that. True, but I could imagine a society where like 10% of the people produce like $100 trillion and there's no work for the rest of anyone else. I don't understand how you can say there's no work. There'll always be work. How are you going to, you can't have like a robot entertain people. You're going to have a robot comedian. But, but maybe the 10% of people. Robot actors. Maybe the 10% of people are all just entertainers. Okay. Well, so that we could find some voluntary f- solution to, to figure out how to get those, the 10% of the people charity. You know, if we're all sitting around and we're, we're so wealthy as, as a country that, we have, we have robots doing everything for us. We should be able to figure out a way to to help the the least fortunate among us voluntarily. Why does it always have to be you know at the threat of force? Yeah, we're taking from people, and the whole argument that they make and that this uh, this Yang guy lays out it's just that spending money grows the economy. And you get you get this multiplier effect where you when you take these dollars and you give them to poor people, poor people, middle class, they're going to spend it right away and it's going to circulate through the economy. And that's that's going to grow everything. Well, that's just much poor faster. economic theory. Right. It's just a failed Keynesian nonsense. And it's just demonstrably false. Right. But but I will make the again, I don't know if this is the argument he's making. I'll make the argument that we've we've made on this podcast before, which is, hey, take away all the social programs, right, with their bureaucracy and their moral hazards and their weird incentives and just swipe them all away and hand someone a check for a thousand bucks a month. I, I could be down for that. I could I could I could Why? support that. Why a thousand? Well, I'm, well, sorry. I mean, if some a, some calculation of what's being spent what's now. The calcula- How does the calculation? So, like, if a thousand is good, right? If spending money grows the economy, 
And you know, if we give if we give everybody a thousand dollars, that's going to be great for economic activity. Why not two thousand? Why well, not five thousand? Well, I, I'm I'm saying as a replacement for current social programs. Okay. Like like we're talking about like again, what you're talking about is what's my ideal solution, right? What's like my dream scenario? And what I'm saying is a little bit different. I'm saying, okay, how can we build to be better now than, than what we are today? Okay. Well, let me let me just read what, okay. what this guy is proposing. Okay. And let's let's deal with what he's talking about instead of your fantasy world where robots do everything. <laughs> Nobody has any problems in the world. <laughs> okay, so I don't think we're that far off. I know. All right. Oh, we are. Believe me. <laughs> all right. So um he claims that this will enable all Americans to pay their bills, educate themselves, start businesses, be more creative, stay healthy, relocate for work, spend time with their children, take care of their loved ones, and have a real stake in the future. <laughs> is there anything the UBI can't do? I mean, what you're, what you're telling me is that a politician's overpromising <laughs> in election season, and I, I agree with you. Yeah. It's, yeah. I mean. So, so he's going to fund it with a value-added tax. That's his plan. Yeah. So his plan is to add a 10% VAT tax right. onto the production of goods and services, right? which critics would point out would disproportionately affect Poor the people. same people yeah. that are supposed to benefit from this 12000 Right. And as far as I know, he's not talking about eliminating the current welfare state that we have. This UBI is just... This is on top of what we already have. And of course it is because cutting things is never politically feasible. It's never popular. Like you were saying earlier, he's trying to he's trying to get elected president. He's not going to get elected president by saying, OK, I'm going to take all this great stuff away from you and give you some free money. No, no. He's got to keep the great stuff in place and give you free money. Government handout programs never go away. So this notion that we're going to eliminate the current welfare state we have and replace it with this UBI, and the UBI is going to be funded with a 10% VAT tax, it's just it's absolutely ridiculous. It's a pie in the sky. But, so spending more money. But, I mean, his whole, his whole rationale for it, I, I was listening to a clip of it, and I could probably throw that into the episode, is that, you know, we've lost all these jobs due to automation. Right. And so now we need to give everybody $1,000 a month. Exactly like what you were saying earlier in the show. There's reasons we've lost jobs to automation. And if you're if you want to make us more competitive in a global market, yeah. Why don't you reduce why don't you address the things that are making us less competitive? The irony of this whole thing is that automation brings prices down. Technological advances bring prices down. So if we just automate as much as possible and we have all these technological advances that bring prices down, if you bring people's costs down by $12,000 a year, wouldn't that have the same effect? And then you don't have to steal money from people? Isn't that a better approach? But let's let's address the positive tenets of a UBI, okay? Do you agree that instead of having this patchwork of giving money back, this would be a cleaner, easier way to do it. Yeah, instead of like the 23 welfare programs yes. that we have right now? Yes. Yes, to the extent that we have it, I would like, I would prefer that there wasn't like 23 different levels of bureaucracy you had yeah. to go through. I mean, how amazing, dude, this is like dream scenario. Like how amazing is taking a sledgehammer and throwing it through Medicare and like basically being like, hey, instead of, this weird health insurance 
Like yeah, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna just give you money now. As long as we're dreaming, why don't I just dream up a scenario where there's nothing at all and everybody's taken care of voluntarily and we have a we have a, a completely voluntarist society. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> I, I guess that's my point is like is like why like the, one thing that the government does is they, they take this money from people and then they have to come up with all sorts of schemes and programs to give it back to us. Yeah, Why not just not take it in the first place? Well, and twelve thousand is not going to be enough to cover people's medical bills, so they're just going to have to increase it, or they'll be like, "We need to." What you're going to end up getting is like slight cuts to the welfare state. They'll limit, you know, they'll eliminate like ten to fifteen percent of that, yeah. and then they'll install this huge, massive government intervention, yeah. new policy that will never go like. If you think it's hard to get rid of Social Security, right. try getting rid of free cash every month. <laughs> like that's not going anywhere. Yeah, but Social up. Security. Right. But, well, at least you, in theory, you pay into it. This is $1,000 a month, no strings attached. You can blow it all on like hookers and blow. So uh, one thing I, I will bring up is um, this is kind of interesting. So my wife, Hen, is Israeli and they have a form of UBI if you're religious Right, if you're starting to become a rabbi, um, they just have it's basically cash payments from the working non-religious to the religious, and the non-religious hate it, man. They're like, "What? Well, like this is like drowning our country, and like there's just incentive for them to have more kids because um, they get like a higher payment." Yeah, and, and so actually, if you want to talk about a use case that it's like not going so well, like look look to that country. What do, what do they call this? What do they call the program? It's do just you know? social security for for like for, for religious, religious people. people. What it does is it encourages people to become religious and study study yeah. Torah. How do they prove that you're you know, like so pious? It's more you about like it's you more have to about go Costanza. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Say some prayers. Latvian Orthodox. Uh, I think it's more. Actually, I'm not sure. I'm going to ask her about that. Like. It's not about like how pious you are. It's like about like going to like rabbinical school and like studying. But yeah, like you could be a really crappy rabbi and like not do any of that and probably still get paid. I will tell you, these people live in like utter poverty. It's like not a good thing for them either. Right. Which well, which proves your argument. It's like this is not a good thing for people. Right. Because just you know, just consuming things, just spending like moving around like dollars throughout the economy and right. consuming goods that have been produced. Does not make you richer, right? What None makes, of that. It makes it, it actually causes inflation too. In a, in a weird it causes inflation because every now you have like so nothing new is being produced, right. but everybody's got a thousand dollars more. Right. So you have more dollars chasing the same amount of goods. Prices right. go up. Right. So that's like the economic fallacy, like one economic problem with it. The other one is just that there's no way to grow the economy by consuming things. You have to save and invest in capital goods, capital equipment to produce more things. And who does the saving and investment? The rich people. And what is, like who are, who's going to fund this program? The rich people. So you're taking money away from people who are going to save it and invest it in growing the economy. And you're spending it in the here and now. Right. On things that have already been produced. So you're you're diminishing your ability to produce goods in the future. You're, yeah. you're sort of messing up the whole capital structure of the economy. Do you, do you so want long do you, term? It's a disaster. Do you want just another side point that is going to make you feel real good inside? Which is I love to feel good, inside. which is um, when the government keeps interest rates low, like when they artificially keep it low. 
there's less incentive for people to save money because the savings rate is awful. Right, right, exactly. That's so, why everyone, like, people are living paycheck to paycheck as part of it. Yeah. It's because you're incentivized to spend. Right. And, you know, when we had the, 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 the 2008 crisis, Bush got out there and he's like, go spend some money or whatever he's, you know. <laughs> I should, maybe I should throw that into the intro too. <laughs> Um, All right. Well, anyway, I think we covered UBI. Yeah, but well, one more one more point I just want to get out. I mean, if if that was really the way to grow an economy, it would be easy. We would never have any problems. Right. America does not have a problem consuming things. Right. We're we're, we consume so much more than we can. Everybody's in debt up to their eyeballs. Consumption is not our problem. All these third world countries, uh, that guy in Zimbabwe, Mugabe. He printed trillions. <laughs> they walk around with trillion dollar bills in their wallet. Right. Why didn't it work? Because you can't you have to have the stuff. What makes right. poor people poor is they don't have stuff. It's not that they have dollars in their pocket, these pieces of paper that are virtually worthless. Right. You have to have the production. So all right. Yeah, that's my spiel on that. Love I love it. What's the next topic? Actually, I think we better wrap. We're running kind of long. Cool, man. But this was I thought this was good. Yeah. All right. So, guys, I know there's somebody out there that you know that needs to hear this show. I know Mandel's not the only one out there who thinks robots are going to take all of our jobs <laughs> and we're just going to be sitting in the gutter poor and destitute. So do us a favor. Share the show. Share it with a couple people that you think really would like it and at least one person that you know that just needs to hear it. Maybe it'll make them angry. That's fine. I piss people off all day long. Make sure you download and subscribe. Check out our private Facebook group. Check out our website, peddlingfiction.com. Get the show notes page on there. Links to anything we discuss on the show. You can join our mailing list there. Get our weekly newsletter, meme of the week. Follow us on Twitter, at peddlingfiction. And until next time, just keep peddling that so-called fiction. Peace. Peace.